It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling And everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year So I wonder, has anyone here ever felt the chaos of Christmas before? <laughs> Where all these things that start off so beautiful become like terrorizing and terrifying by the end of the season. All the songs you love to sing become annoying after a couple weeks. All the food that you look forward to you get sick of after a while. All the parties that you were anticipating then become a burden. Anyone ever experienced the chaos of Christmas before? How did that happen? <laughs> that Christmas became at times, for some of us, certainly not all of us, and certainly not all the time, but Christmas sometimes can feel kind of like a burden. Wow, man, we have to kind of do these things and pull out these boxes literally and then kind of unpack all stuff and pack it all back up. I mean, I think for many of us, our perspective and our experience of Christmas has maybe gotten kind of lost in the shuffle. I don't know when exactly this happened or how exactly this happened, but somehow between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we've invented another holiday and they call it Black Friday. And it could not have a more apropos name. It is the blackest and foulest of days. Black Friday has become part of the chaos of Christmas. It's the kickoff to Christmas. That's how we start. We have friends visiting from Ireland. They're so excited to be in Chicago. And one of the things they were most excited to do was go shopping on Michigan Avenue on Black Friday. And all I had to say to them was, why? Why? Go have a hot dog. Go get some pizza. John Stewart loves our pizza. Go get some pizza. Don't do that. I don't know when shopping at Christmas time became the Hunger Games. It is a great. I do not volunteer as tribute for Black Friday. I want nut Friends, Hunger Game jokes? Come on, 5 o'clock. Give me a little bit more than that. Who's with me? Come on. It's crazy how that's how we start off our Christmas season, is in this mad dash to buy and to consume. And then there's all sort of, you know, the things that are supposed to be, again, supposed to be wonderful parts of Christmas. You find yourself having to navigate all the parties and all the things you are supposed to go to to celebrate and have a good time. Hey, remember when a party was fun? and you look forward to it, now you kind of have to go to her work party and your work party, and then I got to go to this family party, and we get together three weeks before Christmas, because that's the only time we can get together, and then there's church parties, which 
all, all the volunteers and leaders were having one this Wednesday night. But then there's all kinds of parties. You have to manage them. And some of them you're really looking forward to. And some of them are kind of a burden. When did that happen? When, when did sort of having to be with people you really care about become something you have to manage? Trying to see your family at Christmas. You got to figure out who you're going to go see and when you're going to go see them and, and how you're going to see them and how am I going to afford to get tickets to them and go see them and are they going to come to me? And then you've got kids and so that becomes more complicated. For those of you who are newlyweds, you're having to have that all important conversation of whose family are we going to spend Christmas with? And no matter how you slice it, you're probably going to do it wrong and make someone's mom cry. Like, you know, you've got to manage all of that. When did that sort of happen? When did Christmas begin, for some of us, again, not all the time, and certainly not all of us, begin to evoke emotions of, of stress and even anxiety and feelings of being overwhelmed? And, and even though it's December 1st today, you can already feel behind for Christmas. When did that happen? A couple Christmases ago, the American Psychological Association decided to do a study on stress related to the holidays. This is an actual thing in America holiday-related stress and anxiety. And they polled a ton of Americans, and what they found is this. Eight out of ten Americans feel a heightened and increased level of stress and anxiety as the holidays approach. On top of our already intense and complex lives, when the holidays come around, eight out of ten Americans feel more stressed out and more anxious and more overwhelmed about Christmas. So I have a couple questions for you. Is that how you want to spend this Christmas? Is that how you want to spend this Christmas? Do you think that this is actually how God wants you to spend this Christmas, getting caught up and consumed by the chaos of Christmas? Do you think that maybe there might be a better way, a different way of actually celebrating Christmas, of celebrating this Christmas with God this year? What would that look like? So we're going to reflect on this one simple question as we look at three biblical snapshots, three stories from the Christmas story. We're going to reflect on this one question in each of their stories, but specifically I want you to reflect on this question for your life. And the question is simply this, what would you do this Christmas season, what would you do if you knew God was with you? Now, it sounds very simple, but I want you to think about it. What might be different? What would you do this Christmas? What would you do if you knew God was actually with you? How might you approach some of the chaos of Christmas? How might you approach the people that you're going to see? How might you approach the way that you're going to spend money and the way you're going to kind of end up getting gifts? And all? How might you approach your time? What would you do if you knew that God was actually with you? You, how might this Christmas be different if you celebrated it with God? So we're going to look at these three stories. And what I want you to do is to look at how God speaks into the midst of their own personal chaos and crisis and fear and anxiety, how God consistently speaks peace through his presence in the Christmas story. Now, our hope is that that's exactly what you will receive from God tonight. And that'll carry you not only through this Christmas season, but through your life so that you now have a better question. Instead of what am I going to get and how am I going to make this all work? You can ask a better question this Christmas and a better question for your life. What would I do if I knew God was with me? So I, I know that can seem kind of like an obvious and, you know, sort of 
easy question to ask. But what we take for granted is that there was actually a, a, a time, a significant time in history, where there was very little evidence for God's presence. There was a time, in fact, it comes right before the Christmas story, where God was silent. And his silence led people to believe that he was absent from the world and from their lives. There was a time in history where not a word was spoken, not a miracle was performed, not a prophet raised up, not a pillar of cloud or pillar of fire, no activity, not a word from God for a significant amount of time. In fact, I'm going to have us do something together. I want you to turn to this moment that actually happens in the Bible. So if you brought a Bible with you, you can open to Malachi chapter 4. It's the very last book in the Old Testament. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There's a blue Bible. I'm going to ask everyone to grab a Bible. And in the blue Bible, Malachi chapter 4 is actually on page 670. Page 670 in the blue Bible. Now, we're not going to look at a specific verse. I just want to kind of have you to hold that page in your finger. Malachi chapter 4 is the last book of the Old Testament, and it's the last recorded activity we have of God in the Old Testament. And from everything scholars and historians have assessed from this, the writer of this book and the events found in Mal the book of Malachi, it happened around 450 years before that first Christmas. About 450 BC is roughly the time of when this book, Malachi, was written. And for the next 450 years, there was absolute silence from God. And so what I want you to do is, is grab kind of the pages that come between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. It should be about two pages. And I want you to kind of hold them in your finger. It sh there should be a map. There's, and then like, it looks like a maze. I don't know what that is, but there's a maze in the blue Bibles at least. So if you get bored during my message, at least you have something to do. And I want you to hold these two pages between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between Malachi and Matthew. These two little pages that you hold that barely fill the space between your fingers represent five generations of silence from God. These two little pages, five generations of silence from God, where during this time people would tell stories of what God had done in the past, how throughout history God had moved, but every time God was spoken of, it was spoken of in the past tense. For 450 years, people wondered if God would ever speak or ever move again. My hunch is that there are enough of us in this room who've lived in the tension between these two pages. You sat in the silence of God where you prayed and prayed and prayed. And for whatever reason, a mystery known only to God, you heard nothing. You prayed for a child to come to your family so a family could actually begin. And for whatever reason, all you heard back was silence. Or you prayed for a child that you loved who was walking far away from you or from God, and you prayed and prayed, and for years it seemed as though God was silent. You have been out of work and you've prayed and prayed and prayed and you're wondering where God is at and what he's up to. You know a little bit about, about this tension between these two pages, don't you? So try and imagine 500 years of that silence. It's as though after all the events of the Old Testament, God takes a big breath 
and holds his breath. And Christmas is the letting out of God and breathing a new life and a new story into our world. And that's exactly what happens. From Malachi 4 to Matthew chapter 1, significant events begin to happen where God not only speaks, but he is moving and the story is rapidly changing. We're going to jump between the book of Matthew and Luke. So what I want you to do is now jump over to Luke chapter 1. In the Blue Bible, it's page 714. Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at what happens when God breaks the silence and bridges the distance that defined our world for almost 500 years. Again, we're asking the question, what would we do if we knew that God was with us this Christmas? Let's look at who God was with that very first Christmas. This is Luke chapter 1, and it's the story of Mary. And we tell Mary's story a lot around Christmas time, but I don't know that many of us ever stop to really think about the implications of the specifics and details of the events that happen around Christmas time for Mary. Mary's a teenage girl. Engaged to be married to Joseph. Very common in those days for teenagers to be married. And so she was engaged to be married to Joseph. We don't know if they'd fallen in love or if this was an arranged marriage. We don't have those details. We just know that Joseph is her fiance. We also know an interesting thing in Luke chapter 1 is that Mary has a cousin, a much, much, much older cousin whom she loves, almost like an aunt to her. Her name is Elizabeth. And for years and years and years, Elizabeth and her husband Zachariah desperately longed to be pregnant. Zechariah was a leader, a religious leader in his community. And every day and every year, he would have to lead people into the presence of God and talk about what God had done. And every day, I have to wonder if he wondered if God would ever come through for him and why it is that they couldn't have a child. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, in Luke chapter 1, what we see is Elizabeth, in her old age, becomes pregnant. But it's not just that she is suddenly and miraculously, after many, many, many years, pregnant. It's that an angel actually appeared to her husband, Zachariah, and told them that their son was to be special and that he would actually grow up to prepare a way for one who was coming who would be greater than him. Their son inside of Elizabeth was John, who would become John the Baptist. And so Elizabeth shares with Mary, you have to imagine, behind locked doors and in hushed tones, an angel came. After 450 years of silence, an angel came and spoke. And so Mary is very aware that something is in the air. The story is changing. The page is actually turning. And then it's her moment with God and with an angel. And so I want us to read in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, exactly what happens when Mary encounters an angel. This is Luke chapter 1. Verse 28, you may be familiar with the story, but let's just kind of look through the lens of what we would do if we knew that God was with us and how God speaks his peace through his presence into our fear and anxiety. Luke 1, 28, the angel went to her, being Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are highly favored. That means greeting beloved daughter of God, special one. Greetings to you. The Lord is, what's the word there? The Lord is, that's a very significant word you need to circle in your Bible right now. Because after 450 years of wondering where God is at, God answers the question. He's here with you. He's been here with you all along. He's here with you, Mary. And in Luke 1, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I don't know what she was expecting an angel to say. I don't know what a common angel, I don't know if she wanted like a fist bump or what she was expecting an angel to, 
People, I'm giving you, these are lobs. Come on, these are lobs that I'm giving you. All right, I don't know if she expected what kind of greeting, but she's troubled because what he says to her is actually great news. Hey, daughter, beloved daughter of God, the Lord is with you. But Mary is greatly troubled, probably because she's talking to an angel. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, now this is very important, do not be what? Do not be afraid. Now, please understand why she's afraid. She's afraid because after 450 years of silence and seemingly absence, God is right in front of her. She is very afraid because God with her is not actually normal. Her fear comes from the fact that God is changing the story. God is here, right here with me, right now. And he's saying through this angel, do not be afraid. And he calls her even by name. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. There's a beautiful little part of the story where Mary has heard of her very old cousin miraculously suddenly becoming pregnant. And here's a very young teenage girl miraculously suddenly pregnant, sharing in the story of God the new life that has come in, the page that has been turned in the story. Mary has quite literally, by God, had her life turned upside down on her. She's a teenage, unwed girl. And she finds out from an angel, listen, God is moving. God is here. God is moving. This is happening. The silence has been broken. And by the way, you're pregnant. And then the angel's gone. And so like, wait, what was that last part? And now her whole life is turned upside down. But her response is what is so fascinating. Many of us would find our lives turned upside down and we'd have a lot more questions for God. Wait, how does that, how does that work, first of all? Now, what does this mean? I'm not even married. Do you know what it means to be an unmarried, pregnant teenage girl in my community? It means just about what it means today in ours. She knew what was ahead of her, and yet her response to God as a teenager humbles the most religiously proud people in the world because she says, okay, God, if that's your will, I'm in. And she lets her trust in God well up into worship. And she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, and what is recorded at the second half of Luke chapter 1 is one of the most beautiful worship songs in all of the Bible where Mary's heart overflows with praise to God in the midst of her world being turned upside down. And she says, my soul magnifies, glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She acknowledges that God is here with her and moving And even though her world has been turned upside down, her response is to sing. Friends, that's why we sing every week at Soul City Church. Because we need an opportunity to let out what we have inside of us for God, and we need an opportunity to be reminded of the truth of who God is. Mary's response when her whole world is turned upside down is to sing and worship God. And in a moment when we have a chance to do that, I want to invite you to do the same. Mary's response is beautiful and powerful when she realizes that God is with her. She says, yes, God, whatever you will, whatever you want. Beautiful. Her fiancé's response, on the other hand, not so much. So let me give you a little background of Joseph. You can turn to Matthew chapter 1. So jump back to Matthew chapter 1. Verse 
It's page 675 in the Blue Bible, Matthew chapter 1. Now, Joseph, we don't know a ton about him, but we do know that he was very faithful. He was faithful to Mary, and he was faithful to the law. And the law in his day not only required but demanded that if a fiancé, someone engaged to be married, was unfaithful, that the man had every right to leave her high and dry, to call off the wedding. And in fact, he was entitled to whatever sort of dowry or agreement was made between her father and him. Many times land or property or cattle or livestock, whatever was sort of a part of the wedding agreement, he was entitled to all of that and then could just sort of move on with his life and leave her behind to face the shame and scorn of being an unwed pregnant woman in a very small community. And again, not much has changed. So many times when young women find themselves pregnant outside of the stability or comfort of marriage, many times they're left by the guy, by themselves. I am just complete side note, so grateful for the partnership our church has with an organization here in the city called Karis, who cares for the woman, the mother, and the child at that greatest hour of need. And if you've ever experienced that yourself or gone through that or know someone who has, you know how significant that moment is. That's the moment that Mary's in. And Joseph's mind is to leave her. It's in the Bible. But he loves her. And so he's going to do it respectfully. He's going to do it quietly so as to minimize the shame that she will face. Sort of just secretly call off the wedding and move on. So that's his plan. God thankfully intervenes with his plan. And this is Matthew 1.20. After Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, because Joseph was actually a descendant of King David from the Old Testament. So that's what that means. Joseph, son of David, do not be what? There it is again. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Yes, I know that the law requires you to leave her. Yeah, I know that culturally that's the right thing to do, and you would be applauded to do so. I know that you don't know all the specifics and details. Your assumption is that she has been unfaithful, but Joseph, God has actually been faithful. He's been faithful to the plan that he had in motion all along. And don't you stand in the way of what God is doing right now. Don't you be afraid because this breaks up your plan and your dream that you had for your life. God is writing a bigger story and he's inviting you to actually be a part of it. So do not be afraid to take her home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because, again, he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. Back in the Old Testament when God was speaking and moving clearly and evidently, the prophet, uh, this prophet Isaiah spoke hundreds and hundreds of years ago that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will actually give him this specific name, Emmanuel, which means God. God, what? With us. Hundreds of years ago, a lonely prophet speaks out into the distance, into the future, that one day a virgin is going to conceive. Whatever that, how could he possibly have understood what that meant? That she will conceive. And they are to have this child, and they are to give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. How could Isaiah have ever known how significant those words would be after 500 years of silence? 
How significant are those words for you tonight? God is with you. God is with you. So important was this that the angel said to Joseph, you need to name him Emmanuel to remind you always when you look into his eyes that God is with you. He is with you. He is with you. Joseph, I know this is not what you thought. I know this is not what you'd planned, but God is with you. What would you do if you knew that God was with you? So what's so significant about that name, Emmanuel, what's so significant is that in the Old Testament, there's a moment where God is speaking to Moses, preparing him to lead the Israelites out of captivity, out of Egypt, and into ultimately the promised land. And so before Moses goes on this impossible mission from God, he says to God, okay, who shall I tell them told me all this? What, what's your name? Just tell me your name so I can tell them who told me to do all this. And God gives Moses this very, very, very powerful and profound answer. He says, this is my name. My name is I am. That's all you need to know, Moses. I am. In fact, so holy and sacred was the name I am that no Jewish person dared speak that name out loud. In fact, to speak the name I am in public would lead to capital punishment, would mean you'd be killed on the spot. So revered and holy was the name I am that no one dared speak it. They took the vowels out of that name so that they could say just the consonant so they wouldn't get in trouble of actually saying the name of God which lasted throughout the whole Old Testament. I am, I am, this is who I am. All you need to know is I am. And here is I am saying, I am with you. That's my name. I am with you. All the significance of the Old Testament, of people's relationship with God coming now into fruition through Jesus. I am is now with you. I am with you. You, Emmanuel, the name given to Jesus. So significant, so important was this announcement that it could not stay within the heart and the home of Mary and Joseph. I mean, again, their whole life is being turned upside down. They're trying to figure out how this is all going to work. And wouldn't you know it, right at the time where they're trying to figure out how, how to sort of manage this new life of having the Savior of the world in their home, there's a national census that's required because you know how the government loves to do censuses. And so they have to go back to their hometown to be accounted for, to his hometown. So Joseph has to pack up his nine-month pregnant wife, put her on a donkey to take an 80-mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It would take the better part of a week for them to get there. Again, when Jeannie was nine months pregnant, friends, she wouldn't even ride to Chick-fil-A with me, Okay. And here is Mary on the back of a donkey with Joseph having to travel 80 miles to Bethlehem. Again, their whole lives are being upturned. So they're in a, a far-off city where they have no connection, no relation, as you know from the story, no place to stay. And they end up in the back of someone's garage having to give birth to the Savior of the world. But all along the way, knowing, I am is with you. I am is with you. I know you're in a new city. I know this is not how you imagine it. I know you'd rather have your mom or your family here. I know that you've already faced the shame and scorn of being pregnant outside of marriage. I understand all of that. 
But I am is with you, and he is writing a much bigger and better story, a story that could not be contained just to that little garage. And in fact, I love this moment in the Bible in Luke chapter 2. Why don't you turn back now to Luke chapter 2. This is the last snapshot we're going to look at tonight before we really bring this question into our own lives. Luke chapter 2. It's page 716 in the Blue Bible. It's this beautiful story of these shepherds who, who were outside the city limits on a hill, and that's, there's significance in that reality. The shepherds were very much on the outskirts of society in their day. They were not at all welcomed into sort of public life in the community. I find it incredibly ironic that many times it was shepherds who would care for and prepare the sheep that would be used for sort of the sacrificial system, but they weren't allowed to participate in temple rituals. So they'd have to prepare the sheep, but then they weren't allowed to go into the temple and to witness that. And so you have these outskirts and the outside of town. And, and understandably so. I mean, these are people who talk to animals all day long. And so they're out there. And once again, God shows that he is with us. And I want us to read a passage that you may already be familiar with from Luke chapter 2. We'll start with verse 8. Made famous by a theologian from the late 60s. His name is Linus. You've probably seen his work. And so this is Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And it says this, look at how God speaks peace through his presence, even into fear. And there were shepherds living, again, out in the fields nearby. Do you get the implication here? They're outside of the city, outside of Bethlehem, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, filled the space around them. And they were what? And you would be too, wouldn't you? They were terrified. Listen, they didn't get many visitors out in the fields, let alone heavenly visitors. They were terrified, absolutely terrified. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, do not be what? Don't be afraid. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be afraid. I bring you, and I love this, listen to the words in this sentence. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that will cause great joy, which we sang about a little while ago. And this is for all people. And God is underlining and underscoring the word all by appearing to you. Outskirts, outsiders. God's good news is for everyone. And so he starts with a group of shepherds. Is that how you would have done it? If you had to announce the coming of the Savior of the world, if you had to turn the page of history and wanted to let the world know that God was speaking, is on the move, and grace has come, and redemption is here, who would you go to first? Religious leaders? Kind of powerful officials, rulers? God says, no, this is good news. This is going to cause great joy for all people. So I'm going to start with shepherds. Let's start with the a pregnant teenage girl. I'm going to start with a husband on his way to divorce court. I'm going to start with shepherds and let this good news spread throughout the world. It's so beautiful to see these shepherds, their response, because then these angels fill the sky to declare the actual birth of Jesus. This is God sort of 
sending like a birth announcement. You know? So he fills the sky with angels, and they're singing glory and glory and glory to God. And, and, the, and the shepherds are seeing something that no one in history has ever seen before like this. The, literally, the sky is filled with angels singing and declaring the presence of God through this little baby Jesus. And so at the end of it all, they say to each other, we got to go see this Savior. we got to go see this King. And so they literally leave their sheep on the hill, run into town, break all kinds of cultural norms, run right through to where they find the garage where Mary and Joseph had just recently had Jesus, and they just barge in, and they break into this holy night, silent night kind of moment. They destroy the hallmark moment of Mary and Joseph and come crashing in to experience the good news that had already caused great joy in their hearts. And they too broke out in worship to God, filling the streets, running and praising God in the middle of the night that the Savior of the world had come. I am is with us. Could it be that the, the gift of Christmas, the gift of this first Christmas, and the gift of every Christmas is simply God with us? That that's the gift of Christmas. God with us. If you want to sum up the whole Christmas story, you can do it in three words. God with us. God with us. The gift of Christmas is God with us. And no matter how you're coming into this season, this is truth that can transform this Christmas for you and can transform your life. What would you do if, if you knew God was with you this Christmas? We see how Mary and Joseph and these shepherds responded. How will you respond to God with you this Christmas, regardless of whatever your circumstances may be this Christmas, what would you do if you knew God was with you? This last week, I got a, an email and kind of followed up with a phone call from a good friend that I've known for a while now. Uh, met him a, a while back, actually. He got transferred here through his job. And so moved his whole family here to Chicago. Never lived in Chicago before, so moved here. We kind of met them quickly after they got here, and they got involved here in our church. They've been involved here in our church, love this church, and things have been going really well. Great, great, great family, and you know, things have kind of been going great. Jobs have been going great. Family's really growing. It's been a really, really, really great year. 2013 has been a great, great, great year for them. And then, completely out of the blue last week, his boss gives him a call and says, hey, I got really bad news for you. We really, really, really like you. But we're looking ahead towards the end of this year and then we're making projections for next year and we just don't see how we can keep you on any longer. And so we're gonna need to terminate your position effective immediately. This is again, Thanksgiving weekend. And so he kind of reaches out and says, You'll never guess what happened to me this week. And he kind of laid out the story. And I was uh, so heartbroken with him. Because I'm thinking about his kids, and I'm thinking about this time of year, and I'm thinking about all that's, the great things that they've seen God do in their life this last year. And This just came out of the blue for them. And maybe you've experienced that yourself. You know what that phone call is like, don't you? Or maybe it's a job that has suddenly come to an end, or a relationship that has suddenly come to an end, a dream that you had that very quickly dies. And so I asked him, how are you, how are you doing? Are you, how are you feeling? And he's very honest. He's that kind of friend, very honest. He's like, uh, I'm really frustrated. I'm really upset. I'm like, yeah, you should be. He's like, I did not see this coming at all. He's like, I'll be honest, I, I'm concerned. 
like I'm, I'm concerned. I'm kind of looking ahead to the end of this year and then into next year, and I don't know how it's all going to work out. And then he went on to say, and I asked his permission to share the story. He said, you know, I'm really embarrassed. I've never lost a job in my life before. And here I am in my 40s, and I'm getting fired. It's never happened to me before. And so I said, well, what can I, what, what can I do? What, what, what do you need? How can I help? And he goes, you know, it's funny, Jared. I, while this is not what I would have chosen, his words, I know that God is with us. And he went on to respond in such a way that um, it just blew me away, his perspective. He said, you know, I can't believe that God would bring us this far to let go of us now. I can't believe that God would move our family to Chicago, cause us to get so plugged in and connected to this church and this city, to build such rich friendships so quickly, quickly to just abandon us and forget about us. In other words, what he was doing in this moment, in his response to me, was saying, look, I, I know that God's with me. And so I'm not going to be overwhelmed by my circumstances. I'm not going to choose into fear, anxiety. I'm going to choose to trust God. I'm going to choose to believe that he is actually with us. And his words directly to me. And he's got a much better story than anything I could ever write. This is days after being fired from a career job. And what would you do if you knew God was with you? What would you do in that instance? Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you're out of work right now. Maybe it's very fresh for you, very recent. I don't know what I'm going to do. What am, how am I going to make this all work? And you, all you can see is the bills and all you can see is everything, that expectations that are on you. What would you do? How would you face this challenge in this season you did not see coming if you knew that God was with you, that I am is with you this Christmas, even in this difficult season? Or maybe you've got parts of your job that you don't love. Maybe you like your job, and, but there's just certain people maybe at your job or certain part of your job that you just hate having to do. What would you do if you knew God was with you? And every call that you had to make, every time you had to have a difficult conversation with your boss, what might you do differently if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is actually with you in that moment? How might it go differently for you? What about maybe your own sort of fears or anxieties that maybe you're walking into this Christmas season with? Maybe you're facing your own struggle and starting a family finding someone to spend the rest of your life with, this has been much harder than you would have ever imagined or have wanted. How might you walk through that? What would you do if you, if you just knew that God was with you? How might that change your perspective? How might your heart shift if you just knew God hasn't brought you this far to let go of you now? Maybe for the places in your life where you're feeling overwhelmed, there's a transition that's coming, or maybe you're just coming out of a transition and everything kind of feels a little uncertain. How would you walk through this season if you knew God was with you? Just last night, I was reading through my notes and kind of looking ahead at this week and thinking about all that's going on in our growing church. And Jeannie and I are so thankful to pastor and lead with an amazing team of a growing church. But I'm going to be real honest. I made a huge mistake at 10 o'clock last night. Jeannie was out. She had to run to the store real quick and grab something. Kids were asleep. And I opened my email at 10 o'clock at night. Big mistake. Because all the stuff that like, I left on Wednesday when Thanksgiving break started, it all flooded in. 
And I begin to think about all the stuff that I have to do this week and all that's ahead of me. And then I made an even worse mistake. I opened up my calendar. Huge mistake on a Saturday night at 10 o'clock. And I looked ahead at this next week and I was mapping out sort of the month of December as we were about to start this month. And I looked at all our church is going to be doing over the course of this next month. Everything happening from Heart and Soul this Wednesday to the Christmas store to our Christmas services to how we're looking to serve our neighbors like we've never loved and served our neighbors before. I'm going to be really honest with you. I was reflecting on all that has to happen in our church and I began to get overwhelmed to the point where I literally had to put my laptop down and kind of walk around the room for a little bit and do my breathing exercises. I was getting overwhelmed by church work, work for God, work that supposedly God is doing. And I, in that moment, became completely overwhelmed by all the responsibilities and all that's ahead of us. And I had to say, okay, God, okay, I can try and do all this on my own strength. Or I can walk through this season of a growing church with that simple question, what would I do if I knew you were with me, God, that you were actually the one leading this church? What would you do in those feelings of overwhelmedness if you knew God was with you? What about with your, your stuff, your resources, your, your time this Christmas? What would you do if you knew God was with you? I think we get so caught up in how we have to kind of buy this gift and get this thing and make sure we navigate all the sort of coming in and going out of all of our money. And What would you do if you just... If you just knew that God was with you and the stuff that you have in your life, you looked at as a gift from God. The resources of your time and your health, your abilities, your finances, you looked at and said, God, I believe this is a gift from you. So what do you want me to do with it this Christmas? What would you have me do, God, with all this stuff, all that you've provided, if I knew you were with me? How might I approach it differently this Christmas? What would you do if you knew God was with you? So that's going to be our prayer for the course of this week. That's our homework this week, is to make that prayer sort of our little mantra. Okay, what would I do if I knew God was with me? How would I walk into this day? How would I walk into this meeting? How would I walk into this class? How would I walk back home? How would I offer the words, I'm sorry, if I knew God was with me in this moment and every moment? So what I want to do is just give us a moment to reflect on that. And my hunch is, is as I've been talking and we've been walking through this text together, there have been things that have popped up in your heart, maybe circumstances or seasons that you're in right now where you've wondered, is God really here? Does God really care? Has he brought me this far to just drop me off on the curb at this particular moment in my life? And whatever that may be, whether it's related to your health, maybe it's you found yourself in a season for the first time in your life where you are without someone that you've been with for a long time. Someone has passed. A relationship has ended and you've wondered, God, are you really here? Do you really care? I want you just to take a moment and reflect on that situation, that circumstance, and ask that question. God, what would I do? What could I do? What could I do if I knew you were here and you were with me? So I want to just give us a moment of silence and reflection and then give us an opportunity to respond to God's presence here. So let's just take a moment and be quiet and be still. Be thinking about the places where maybe you've wondered if God was still here or still cared and ask that question. What would I do? How would I approach this if I knew I am is with me?
we want to take an opportunity to put into practice what we've just heard from God. To respond like we've seen from these stories by being present with God in the midst of his presence here with us tonight. We want to take a moment to do as Mary did, to respond and let our trust in God well up into worship to God. And so for the next few moments, we're going to sing. We're going to pour our heart out to God. We're going to let our heart be filled up by God. And as we do, we're going to do something we do here regularly at Soul City Church. We're going to give back to God. It's a part of our worship. Many folks in our church give online, do that faithfully. My wife, Jean, and I have done that for years now. It's helped our marriage and us to kind of plan and be able to map out how we want to give more and more and more to God each year. Many folks give online, but we've continued to keep it as part of our worship from the first service we ever did here at Soul City Church because we believe it's important to be reminded that we have an opportunity every week and every day to respond to God, to respond to God, to do something differently, believing that God is actually here with us, prompting us and guiding us along the way. So we're going to take the next few moments to give back to God. And as you do know that when you give to God, he does two different things. He does an outward thing and he does an inward thing. Outwardly, what God does is he extends the ministry of this church so that we're able to greater partner with schools like Brown and Debt and organizations like Karis and like Breakthrough Urban Ministry and By the Hand here in the city. We love what God does in this neighborhood. We love how God is caring for people and growing people up within the walls of, these church, of this church. God does something outwardly when we give to him, and then he also does something inwardly as well. As he grows your heart and he expands your heart and he makes you more grateful, as you give, here's the amazing thing, as you give, you become more grateful. Only God could orchestrate that economy. And as you give, you find that great joy in giving. And so you become more generous and more freed up. And what you find over time, when you allow God to be with you in your finances, is you actually become free. So that's why we give as part of our worship every week. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to respond to God by giving to him and by singing to him. So would you pray with me right now? God, thank you that you are here. We don't need to invite you into our presence, God. You are here. You have always been here. As you said to Mary, God, you are with us. And for whatever reason, you call us your beloved sons and daughters. God, you love us. That's why you're here with us. And you're here with us to love us in this moment right now. You're here to draw us back to you. You're here to break our hearts for you. God, you are here with us to open our eyes to the bigger and better story that you want to write with our lives. You're here to remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness, God. You're here to remind us that you are bigger than our circumstances, God. You're here to remind us that you're here, God. And so we choose in these next few moments to not be distracted or overwhelmed or fearful or depleted or defeated, God. We want to be in your presence because in your presence we are made whole. And so, God, as we give and we sing, we literally come running back to you into your arms tonight, God, and find in you all that we need for our lives, for this Christmas, for this moment. It's in your name that we respond. Amen.